We all make mistakes. The important thing is to learn from them and move on. I mean, you know that cliche, it's never too late to start over. The thing is, not being aware of your financial situation can be harmful. That's what John realized almost a little too late. Well, for me, hope is a day-by-day thing. I'm still in that phase of my life with some aspects where it's moment by moment. At 69 years old, he's now relying on a tiny pension and meager social security benefits after squandering his 401k funds on multi-level marketing companies. That's not all. Him and his wife also battled cancer at various stages in their lives. And while John was dealing with remission, his wife suddenly dies of cardiac arrest just a few short months ago. John is realizing now that making intentional choices could have helped him from living at what the U.S. would consider living at the poverty level. And he wants his story to be a cautionary tale so that you don't make the same choices he did. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. My guest today on the last episode of this season is John Morrow, a 69-year-old retiree from Lakeland, Florida. We chat about how little income he has to rely on since his wife passed, the biggest financial regrets he's had, what he's going to do to take responsibility for his actions, and what he wishes younger generations can learn from his story. Stick around to the end where I'm going to distill some takeaways from our conversation, including some questions to think about as you're navigating through making intentional choices with your money. Now, before we get started, one of the ways you can make more intentional choices is by using your values to guide your spending. Lucky for you, I've created a values-based spending guide, which can help you hone in on what you value the most and how to apply it to your financial life. To grab it, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Now, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. John, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. I really appreciate you reaching out and willing to share your story on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So let's start with where you're currently at now in terms of your life and financial situation. So whatever you want to share. Well, first of all, of course, I'm technically retired. I'm 69. been retired since I was 63. The uh, situation here is that we are just over three months past my wife dying unexpectedly of cardiac arrest after we were married for almost 46 years. We were living solely off of Social Security income and a small pension from the company that we worked for because we both spent the last 17 years of our working life working for the same company. When she passed away, we had clearly not laid the foundation for my continuation and being able to meet the obligations that we had. So basically the result was, whereas after we retired in 2013, living on 40% of what we were making when we were working full-time, we're now, I'm to the point where I'm living on basically about 21% of what I made as a worker. And I recently, with the help of the Social Security Administration, came up with an actual net number that before taxes, my net average income per year is $23,000. So that's your current income right now? Absolutely. And so, and you mentioned a pension. So what is going on with that? Well, we both had pensions, but they were small. And when I say small, they were calculated 
to provide a supplement to the Social Security that we would draw based upon when we were eligible to draw Social Security. And so the setup was that, for example, with my wife and her Social Security income, she was drawing just shy of $300 in addition to Social Security. And I was drawing just shy of $400 plus Social Security, but she had no survivor benefit on the pension. So when she Mm. passed away, that income ended. Further, because my Social Security income level was higher than hers, I discovered that I don't qualify for a spousal survivor benefit, very much like if she had made more than me, I could have possibly have drawn additional Social Security income based upon the fact that her passing was a far more significant hardship. I Never knew that about Social Security until I faced that dilemma after Donna died and I began to crunch the numbers. Right. And I'm, first of all, I'm very sorry to hear that it was such a sudden passing. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that because I'm, I can only imagine how raw the emotions still are. I know you mentioned to me when we were chatting via email that it was a very unexpected mm-hmm. passing. Yeah. And you mentioned that it was something you never really saw coming because you were battling with something yourself. So can you dive a little bit in that into that and, and tell us a little bit about the story? Yeah, I am happy to tell you that I am a survivor. <laughs> I'm a cancer survivor. I had prostate cancer. Uh, it was diagnosed in 2017. At first, it appeared to be manageable. And so we were primarily just observing and doing things to make sure that There was no indication that it was beginning to grow more aggressive, and I continued to see my urologist on a regular basis. But sometime in the early part of 2018, it became clear that not only did I have a problem with the cancer starting to grow in the prostate, but it also was being affected by yet a second problem that was diagnosed in the prostate called BPH, which is benign prostatic hyperplasia. Now, that's not malignancy, but it is mass. So I had a cancer plus the mass, and my situation basically said that my best likelihood of full recovery and a return to, over time, a degree of normalcy, if I can call that, it was best to remove the prostate. My wife and I had the conversation about it, and we made the decision, and I chose the surgery. And it was robotic. It was not open field, so it was not horribly invasive. The healing was fast, but after the healing, I had to wait until the doctor was satisfied that I could be subjected to radiation. So at the beginning of 2019, I started a regimen of 38 radiation treatments at five times per week. And I completed that and then went through the post-op process. And while in the post-op process being checked for my progress and seeing if there was any sign of the cancer, this is when Donna suddenly, unexpectedly on Sunday morning, June 2nd, collapsed in the kitchen. And what I fully didn't grasp until we got to the hospital was that her heart had already stopped beating when she hit the floor. It was cardiac arrest. Okay. So you're going through that. And then tell us, if you can, emotionally and, and like mentally, what was going through your mind as all of this was happening? Well, with regard to the cancer, I had confidence that everything was going to be fine. Plus, I had the blessing of being married to a woman who actually was a cancer survivor in and of herself because in 2001, she was diagnosed 
with breast cancer. She had a ductal carcinoma. And so she had a lumpectomy and she had radiation as well. And she had been cancer free ever since then. So that was good because it was caught at a good time. It was treated effectively and she recovered very nicely and she was moving along. Then when my cancer cropped up, I remembered my father had it. And of course, it wound up playing a big role in his passing. And I didn't want to have the same decisions made that dad made when it came to what's the best thing to do. And the best thing at this case, and my wife and I agreed together that it was the best thing, and that was to have the surgery and just remove it entirely. So I was getting used to the fact that I was living my life without a prostate. My wife was already with me on that process as best as I can tell. But what I didn't detect in her was I didn't realize what what stress that was putting on her. She never let on. And I, in the meantime, while going through the radiation, was continually fatigued, very tired. And the energy that I was so accustomed to having to get out there and be active and doing things and applying my skills, I would just find myself running out of steam and sometimes not even wanting to get out of bed. In retrospect and in talking with counselors since my wife has passed away who are specialists in grief counseling, they were telling me that I actually was suffering from a form of clinical depression. And it was that nagging thing which I chose to think I was ignoring, but I wasn't. And that was that I'm damaged, damaged goods. And I didn't like that feeling. And then when I lost my wife, uh, it just left me as a guy sitting here with a house and the responsibilities of caring for that house, but everything about what I do just sort of fell by the wayside. I didn't quit. I just stopped. And I spent a tremendous amount of time over the course of the first month and a half, almost two months, just trying to occupy myself with busy stuff as if that was going to get me over this grieving problem that I was dealing with, this loneliness that is horrible. So. I finally reached out and got help. And I would tell anybody, don't be ashamed to ask for help. Doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. There are organizations, especially through hospice, that are there to help not just the victims, but to help the loved ones of the victims. And especially for those of us who lose someone we love for whatever reason, And we have to go on without them, and it leaves this gaping hole in our lives. And so once I started getting counseling through a hospice organization here in the city of Lakeland, where I live, I began to come to grips with my emotions and my feelings. And I also began to understand that my life has been forever changed. And now I am the person that must go forward, and I must go forward with some degree of determination to be successful. but. Don't ignore the fact that I miss my wife. I miss her terribly. Right. And definitely, definitely understandable. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit because I know we chatted about this and I'm really interested in hearing about this. And I think the listeners will too, is that you mentioned that there were quite a number of decisions you made that led to this point where you're now living on $23,000. and. You know, you said it was a number of, of financial choices and other choices, and it wasn't, and it was ultimately about not being intentional mm-hmm. with parts of your life. So, can you share maybe one of the most significant, or what you think has been some of the most significant decisions that you've made or not made that led you to this point financially? 
as I thought about this process over the course of the weeks, I will just be quite candid and tell you that what we did with the money that we had managed to save through our 401k at work, what we did with it after we retired turned out to be just very foolhardy. We didn't vet the information. What's further, (laughs) we went back and did it again and did it on a couple, actually did it three times. My wife and I were looking for ways that we could increase income through building an at-home business. And the things that we were being pitched and sold were those things which, and I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging home-based business when it comes to direct marketing, network marketing, multi-level marketing. But we were subsequently, before we retired, as we were preparing to retire, introduced to a multi-level marketing program. I liked the concept of the program as far as the services and the goods involved in it. And we got started with that. And what you, what we learned is that the more you invest, supposedly, the more you get back in return, but you've got to always be out there going into homes and sitting down and telling the story and showing the income stream and recruiting people. And when people are recruited, you also earn overrides and bonuses. The only problem was while we were looking at the stuff they were telling us, what was going on behind the scenes, ultimately got the company shut down by a state attorney general in another state here in the U.S., and the company was declared to be a pyramid scheme. So every dollar, which was a few thousand of our savings that we had put into it, was gone, and the company was gone. Okay, then find a different way. Get something more conventional. Not We were once again introduced to another means, and it was actually solicited to us by, through all things, through a news program we were listening to on the radio. And it sounded legit because the person we were listening to on the radio was somebody that we trusted. So we called the number. We were invited to look at it. They sent us the information, and then they made an appointment to talk to us. Then we got started with it, and they said, to be successful, you need to invest this much in product, have this product ready to show and demonstrate. And also, you need to be on an automatic shipment plan where you're going to get this product every month, then you're going to be out there selling it, and you're also going to be out there recruiting people. That even took more of our income, and then that company got in trouble with the state attorney general of the state they were headquartered in. Fortunately for them, they cleaned their act up, but by that time, the die was cast, and uh, we had spent all that money and had not one dime to show for it, and lo and behold... We did try another one, and we put our efforts into that one, and that one actually is is a good company, but the amount of money that one needs to have to pay into it every month in order to use its services, as well as to be in a position to earn income off the people that are using the same services, was just too much for us to handle in our budget. We didn't have the money. So we finally realized we just pretty much gave away all the money we'd saved from our 401k in the course of six years. And we were broke. What was the appeal of these network marketing companies that drew you and your wife in initially? Residual income, passive income, and the idea that when you build it big enough, it'll be paying you all the time, even if you decide to Just take a vacation and go to an island or go on a cruise and enjoy yourself. The income will keep coming in because 
it uses that principle of downline, these legs that grow deeper and deeper and down through, and it's always coming uphill. It's the classic, you know, get in there and build your leg or build your downline or build your team or whatever it is and get that team doing the same things you are and duplicate those things and the money will come up because as you get more people in your leg, your income percentage increases and it just, it was a wonderful story and it's been used millions of times and there are, I'm not saying all multi-level marketing companies are bad, that's not true at all. There are many good ones, but the problem is it's too easy to believe that you can do it when in reality, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of investment. And even then, a lot of people who work and invest come away with little or nothing and they just throw their money down into a money pit. Right. In hindsight, of course, I don't want to say regret or what you wish you'd known because, again, it's 20, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But looking back, were there any red flags? Was there something you felt you would have done differently? before you had invested in all these companies? I can't honestly say that the red flags ever appeared to me. And that may be because I was being, pardon the expression, I'll just be candid with you. I was being delusional. I was convinced the people I was talking to and dealing with who seemed like extremely nice people and very gracious and honorable people, and maybe they were, but they weren't telling me the whole story. They were telling me their story. And in telling me their story, they were always talking about the upside that you can't lose. You can't lose. And I wasn't willing to dig deep to understand that it's not what it appears on the surface. These people, they had the same situation. They put a great deal into it, but obviously they were in a position financially to put that investment. And now it was beginning to pay them an income. But for someone first coming on board, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of money that you don't see right away, but you certainly do pay it forward in hopes that you'll see it again. In retrospect, Yes, I have regrets. And I think perhaps maybe the biggest regret is that we believed too much. We assumed too much. We bit off into something that was foolish to do. And that was the savings that we did have that could have been here to help us at least have a level, you know, sense of income that we could work with, with some money and savings for emergencies. We could have done that. But we didn't get the benefit of the financial planning and we didn't seek the financial coaching and guidance to get that done. And so everything that we did was bad choices based upon pipe dreams. And today, yeah, <laughs> I see now what I didn't do that I should have done. The problem is, like you said, 2020 hindsight is not going to get me back all that money and it's not going to get me back that lost time. And it's not going to bring back that peace of mind that we thought we had. It's foolish. I, uh, I know that now. And if there's anything that I can do in sharing with you, it's to let individuals know if you're approaching retirement, find someone to talk to you about the proper way to make your money work for you to the max in a society where it's only going to cost more to live on a day by day basis. Learn the importance of tightening your belt. There's plenty that you can afford to live without. You don't need all the luxuries that you think you have to have. And then finally, the other thing is that young people more than anyone else with their gifts, their energy, their vitality, and with their knowledge have a unique opportunity to set themselves up for a great future if they will just remember that money has value, but 
the sooner you start saving it and letting it earn interest, the quicker you'll be able to arrive at a place where you'll have something that is there to build your retirement life on, a foundation. And that's why I say I'm the best example of what not to do. Right. Well, I mean, you're here now, so you are an example to many people who hopefully are younger than 69 and are trying to get their financial act together. So we we definitely appreciate it. Let's talk about now. Okay. So you've unfortunately squandered the, the money into these uh, multi-level marketing companies. You no longer can basically access your wife's social security income or pension, and you're living on $23,000. Can you walk us through maybe a little bit of the day-to-day? Like what kind of expenses do you have? What goes through your mind as maybe you're going grocery shopping, things like that? Well, I will say one thing. First off, when you lose your spouse, everything about your life changes, including your eating habits and your sleeping patterns and a lot of things. It's a, In a sense, I am vastly, I don't have nearly the appetite I used to have, but I do eat. And when I do go shopping, I try to buy not just what's on sale, but I try to buy what's healthy because I'm trying to keep myself in as good a shape physically as possible for the benefit of my son and my daughter-in-law because they're going to be grandparents. I mean, they're going to be parents soon. And I am finally going to get the opportunity by the grace of God to be a grandfather. So there is something in the way of a bright, shining light out there in my future. But for the day-to-day things, other than keeping this home clean and comfortable and making sure that my kitty cats are fed and cared for and taken care of. And the things as far as bills are concerned, I've been able to cut a lot of expenses that were just not necessary. I got rid of my cable. I put up an aerial outside. I watch local television using an antenna. I do have Wi-Fi, so I use the Wi-Fi for streaming services and for staying connected. And I'm learning a lot through my computer about ways to create more connections with people. I am involved in my church and keep busy with that. I've been able to bring the electric bills down by just simply turning the thermostat up. I try to make sure that the lights are only on when they need to be. I try to to do everything that I can, you know, to only use my car for finishing everything in one trip and not making multiple trips and going on long distance drives. The only time I travel any distance now is I have a mother who is in a nursing home in North Georgia and family up there. And I do try to drive up once a quarter to spend time with the family over the course of five or six days. But I get back here because I'm involved in church. I'm involved in a communications organization that's helping me to become a better speaker. And I am also uh, working to try to find part-time work that I can do that I would qualify for based upon the training that I had when I was working full-time. And I'm in the current process right now of interviewing with just such a company for part-time work. And I have to be careful because a lot of people don't realize that when you earn a Social Security income, there is a cap. And if you go above that cap on additional earnings, you'll be penalized for doing so. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a part-time job that will allow me to pick up a few extra thousand dollars per year over my Social Security income and will give me a little breathing room 
And I've also started trying to set aside money to save. There is one thing, too, that I'm doing, and a lot of people would rail at me for doing this, but it has to do with an act of faith. And that is I have resumed tithing. What I haven't yet done is I need to practice the factor of also tithing for myself by putting 10% away. Right now, I'm putting about 5% into a savings vehicle and just trying to be sure that I have some money in savings for that purpose. But right now, it's not that big of a sum, but I've started. So at least I'm on the right footing. So everything is about paying the electric, paying the gas, making sure that everything is paid for on the bills, carving out anything that is a waste. And at the end of the month, what I've discovered is I still come up with the shortfall when I do everything that I do. And that shortfall is about $300 a month. So I find ways to find things that I can sell. Fortunately for me, my wife uh, did have life insurance, so her needs were taken care of, but her life insurance policies were small, and they helped with her last rights and helped me pay off a couple of debts. And the rest of it now is just me working smarter and budgeting smarter and maintaining on a day-by-day basis by keeping myself busy doing something productive. Right. So let's, I want to keep talking about these intentional choices because it sounds like you're doing some really, really good things, smart things to to try to at least make the best of your situation at the moment, right? As, as best it can be. So how did you start coming up with these intentional choices or how are you, how have you shifted your mindset? Was it just a lot of reflection? Was it seeking help from financial professionals or reading books? What, what did you do? It was personal reflection. Yes, certainly. But it was also reading books, reading Dave Ramsey, who uh, obviously it would have helped if I'd read Dave's book, Financial Peace, you know, a couple of decades ago. I also came across another book about uh, understanding the, the world of debt and how debt is that thing which can be used to put you in bondage and that when you are in bondage to debt, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. They'll take your house or they'll take your car or they'll take your personal belongings if there's collateral involved. And it doesn't matter that you don't have the money. But on the other hand, too, in reading these books, I discovered that you can also communicate with these lenders that you're indebted to and they are willing to work with you. And I was surprised to discover that there are some lenders that actually gave me some reduced rates, allowed and forbeared with additional time on things to be able to pay them, and worked out payment agreements. Of course, I cut up my credit cards. I don't have them anymore. I've got one credit card left. It's cut up, but I still have about $2,900 on it that was charged. So that's my next significant bill that I'm trying to get off my plate because it represents a payment of $100 every month, which is over the minimum that they want. But that's the other thing. I know that if I want to get rid of credit quicker, I need to pay more because installment, that type of credit card debt doesn't go away if you make minimum payments. Uh, But that I read in the books. In other words, I had my eyes opened up to the lessons I learned from the mistakes that I made. And through reading and understanding the true nature of debt, the value of saving, but more importantly, understanding that at the end of the day, the responsibility for taking care of yourself and those that you love 
rest upon you to make the right decisions that are in your best interest and the interest of those you love. You don't need to be working for the lender. You need to be doing the work for the borrower. And I'm the borrower. So with those guidances, and I continue to read things and subscribe to things online that I read, it's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed your podcast, because you've gotten into some of the really difficult issues that people put themselves into. And it was listening to your podcast with another gentleman who had lost his spouse, but clearly he had done an outstanding job with financial planning and estate planning. And he lost his wife, of course, much earlier in life than I lost mine. The difference was my wife and I were already at ground zero when I lost her. So losing her just exacerbated the problem that much worse. And we were already starting to do the things financially that we needed to do. So it was something my wife and I agreed to do together, and we were hopeful. But when I lost her, I suddenly realized now I'm between a rock and a hard place. So these are things that I've learned through reflection, through accepting that this is the situation I put myself into, but I have an opportunity to make a difference. So while I'm healthy, I'm going to do everything I can to find a way to meet those obligations while at the same time avoiding wasteful spending and definitely not borrowing money for any reason, for any way, form, shape, or fashion, because I have to manage with what I've got and hope that I can supplement that. What is your hope for the future? Well, for me, hope is a day-by-day thing. I'm still in that phase of my life with some aspects where it's moment by moment. But that really has more to do with the psychology that you deal with when you no longer have that life partner that is such an integral part of helping you in your choices and your decision-making and being your ally. But I have hope. I'm thankful for the fact that I still have very good health. My last report with my doctor when I saw him just a month ago was that every indication is that the cancer that I had is completely gone. There's still some things physically that I have to work on that are a consequence of that kind of surgery, but I don't have any physical limitations. I'm capable of walking. I'm capable of doing work. I still have my mental capacities. I still have a good knowledge of the work that I did for the 17 years I was with the last company that I worked with. And this interview that I'm going to be having next week is specific to that skill set. And in the preliminary interviews, I was given hope to believe that I might be an asset to her and that her firm could certainly use me. And that would be something where I could be compensated for my skill set. Now, would I have wanted to spend this part of my life trying to earn an income? No. And I'm not beneath saying that if I had to be a Walmart greeter, I'd be a greeter, but I don't think that's my destiny. I think the hope that I have is that I still have something that I can give, something that I can provide, something good that I can do, and it has value. And so the work I'm focusing on now with the counseling, as well as the reading, with the learning, the educating, and even the stuff that I'm learning about podcasting and the work that you do in your profession and other professions that have to do with technologies is I am throwing myself into this, seeing opportunities, seizing those opportunities, sticking in, taking a look, and seeing where I can find ways to enhance my life. And I don't entertain hopelessness. Hopelessness is useful. I can't 
afford to do that. It's it's there are days when I have I have to stop because it's very hard sometimes. Some days are just bad days. But for the most part, I've had good success. This has been a good week. The opportunity to talk to you today is good because I feel it's potentially beneficial if this discussion winds up being on your podcast uh, as one of those episodes that your followers listen to. But my hope is to take what I've been blessed with, the lessons that I've learned from life, even the bad ones, and be able to go forward, earn an income, have a comfortable lifestyle. I don't think I'll ever be rich, but I don't care to be rich. I just want and have hope that I'll be able to meet my obligations, take care of the things that matter, have time to enjoy life, and have time to make other lives better. And this is where I'm at at this point. So there's a lot of hope that is built in to that dream. John, that's that's absolutely beautiful. And I just want to thank you again for coming on Beyond the Dollar and being so open and honest with what's going on. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Well, John, again, appreciate you coming on Beyond the Dollar. Appreciate you asking or letting me do it. I'm glad that I had a chance to approach you when I saw you in Orlando. You were excellent, <laughs> by the way. Hope you enjoyed the panel. I certainly enjoyed watching you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. As promised, let's distill some takeaways from this conversation. And I don't know about you, but that was such an impactful conversation that I had. It, it really made me think about hugging my fame a little bit more and just really being a lot more intentional with my choices. And then that, suppose that's the biggest takeaway is that find someone you trust, right? Like John said, find someone to trust that you can talk to. Reach out to the community. Be aware of what your choices can do, what kind of impact it can have. I mean, he wishes he could have asked for help a lot sooner, that there was some way he could have talked to somebody more about money. And supposedly that really could have helped him. I mean, who knows, right? Like hindsight, again, is twenty twenty, like we said. But throughout the conversation, I'm sure you've gotten the fact that he was just talking about making more intentional choices, being more present, being more aware. And this wasn't necessarily in our conversation. We, we had quite a lot of back and forth via email on this, but he really was talking a lot about other things in his life that, that we never get to cover because there's so much, right? But he, he really was saying, I would love for people to be aware of that when you're being present and, and just having these conversations and being aware of what's going on is going to really save you in your life. I mean, for him, I think what's really admirable is that he's still taking steps to better his money, right? What, what little he has. And he was talking about something which I thought was very interesting was tithing for myself. So he does tithing to the church, which is typically 10% towards the church. But tithing for yourself is interesting because the whole concept of, you know, putting your oxygen mask before you do some free else is really about taking care of yourself before you can take care of other people. And especially for him, right, given that he's living on about $23,000 a year, saving money for himself, even for his future, right, even at 69 years old is really, really crucial. You know, given, yeah, he did spend his 401k money on something that didn't work out, and that you may not, but the, the concept is there is that take care of yourself, whatever income you have, there's always money, not always, but there's, there should be money anyways to put towards yourself and, and your future needs or your health or whatever it may be. Okay. Something I do want to say, this wasn't necessarily, 
in our conversation, but I this was something that kept going through my mind and I would love for you to think about, especially as a if you are an online business owner, is the responsibility that we have as online business owners. Because there are people out there who are in vulnerable situations who are desperately trying to claw way out of whatever their situation is. And some people out there make these promises that seem like whatever their product or service or solution is, is like these, this magic answer to someone's problem. Like as soon as you buy this and you do some of the steps, you're going to earn, I don't know, six figures or something. And that stuff really, really makes me cringe because I certainly don't want to be perceived as someone who's going to take advantage of other people. And I certainly hope that you're not as a responsible business owner. So be really mindful of when you talk to someone, how they are going to use and perceive your product. And if you feel like this person is needs some other form of help, please direct them elsewhere. One person I really admire is Ramit. And because he actually doesn't allow people to use credit cards to buy his products because he doesn't want people to get into credit card debt over it. So that's something that's really admirable. So just something to think about as if you are an online business owner. If you're not, is you're just a consumer. In the moment, it's really difficult, but I urge you to really think about when you're buying something, especially at a high price tag or with the promise you're going to make more money. Think about your emotions. Like how realistic is this product? How much work do you have to put in? And is this product kind of implying that it's going to be this easy way to earn something? Now, I'm not saying multi-level marketing companies are this way. I don't really have much experience with that. But from what I've heard of other, from other people, this seems to be what's, what's going on. So last thing I really just want to leave you with is that no matter what your darkest moments are, there can still be hope. There can still be hope for you to find some sort of solace. There can still be hope for you to be purposeful and happy in your life, even just a little bit. Now for John, he misses his wife, understandably, but he's has a lot of things that he's grateful for, right? He mentioned that he's going to be a grandfather. He talks about volunteering at his church, He's talking about learning new things. He's part of um, Toastmasters, which is a organization that helps you become a better speaker. So he has lots of things going for him. He's looking forward to interviewing for a part-time job. So even though his situation seems really dire, he's still finding ways to just get out there, to learn, to try to make the best out of his situation. So whatever your situation is, I hope that you can find a way to make the best of it. Certainly email me if you feel like you, you need someone to talk to. So hello at beyondthedollar.co or you know, hit my DMs on Instagram at beyondthedollar. Now, like I mentioned in the introduction, this is the last episode of this season. Don't worry, I'm not going away. <laughs> so something new that, that I'm trying out is doing uh, mini-sodes or bonus episodes in between seasons. So I'm going to take some of the conversations that I've had in the past season and turning it into more practical lessons that we can all use. So these are kind of short bite-sized conversations. And then season six will come back in a few short months. I will definitely post when that exact date is. I'm really excited for some of the conversations we will be having next season. And if you have any suggestions for topics, most of the season has been from suggestions from listeners like you. So if you have any 
suggestions. Again, email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. All right, until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. Whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. Music.